Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Mastering the Room, brought to you by the Graduate School of Political Management at the George Washington University. I'm your host, Steve Pierce. Every episode on the show, we'll sit down with some of the brightest minds in politics, advocacy, and communications. They'll give us a behind-the-scenes look inside the room where it happens, share how their graduate school experience at GSPM helped them get an inside track to professional success, and how it can help leaders like you do the same. New episodes drop every other Monday, so be sure to subscribe to Mastering the Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your preferred podcast listening app may be. And if you like what you're hearing, please give us a rating or review. Just a few seconds of your time can help us spread the word and reach more listeners just like you. And if you want to learn more about GSPM, feel free to check out our website at www.gspm.gwu.edu. And now, without further ado, here's a brand new episode of Mastering the Room. Hello and welcome to Mastering the Room. I'm your host, Steve Pierce. Every week we take a behind-the-scenes look inside the room where it happens, guided by some of the brightest minds in politics, advocacy, and communications. This week on the show, we're joined by Brian Watt, an alumnus of the political management program at GSPM, and a communications pro who has exercised his considerable talents just about everywhere you can think of, from the halls of the U.S. Senate to the wild west of the campaign trail, to one of the world's foremost aerospace companies, to an up-and-coming communications firm. Brian began his journey as a field organizer for the Wyoming Democratic Party, which in perhaps the reddest state in the country sounds like the very definition of a trial by fire. Eventually, he made his way to Washington, where he served as a staffer for the legendary Senator Max Baucus and the Senate Finance Committee before briefly decamping back to the West to spend time as the communications director for the Montana Democratic Party. He wasn't out West long, though, because he was pulled back to D.C. and to the Senate where he spent four years as Deputy Communications Director and Press Secretary for Senator Maria Cantwell. In 2019, Brian made a big career pivot, leaving the Hill to try a new adventure in the communication shop at Boeing. And today, he works as a director at Bully Pulpit Interactive, the aforementioned up-and-coming communications firm, where I am coincidentally fortunate to call him one of my favorite co-workers. Brian, more than anyone else who has ever appeared on this podcast, I know you have all sorts of more important things that you should probably be doing than talking to me. So we appreciate you taking the time anyway. Thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, of course. That's a lot to live up to, Steve. Well, I mean, you've been (laughs) living up to it for many years, friend. Um, Let's start at the beginning. We always start at the same place on this podcast, and that's at the beginning. Um, Where does the story of Brian Watt begin? Where were you born? What was your family like? What What was Brian Watt like as a kid? Oh man, um, I was a naughty child, but um, I grew up in <laughs> I grew up in a very small town in Wyoming. It's like I don't know, maybe a thousand people today. Um, like my graduating class was seventeen people, um, so wildly small, very rural, um, pretty isolated. So the the community itself is is pretty conservative. It's um, mostly coal-based, so almost mm. every industry revolves around coal or or oil, some kind of mineral extraction. Um, so yeah, that, I mean, that was early life. I went to the University of Wyoming for undergrad, which was a great college experience. Laramie's a, uh, a great town. University of Wyoming's a great university. Um, was involved in sort of democratic politics adjacently. I was always very political, but never was really a part of like the you know, the college Dems or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But eventually then um, took off part of my senior year to work a campaign. 
in 2008 for a congressional candidate running in Wyoming, who at that time, they it was an open seat. He had a little bit of a decent chance to win. The DCCC spent a bit of money in the race. Um, we ended up getting crushed by like 10 points. So That's not crushed. I mean, I started my career in, in Utah and... My first race uh, was a Senate race in 2010, which was a bad year for Democrats, but we yeah. lost by 28. And I thought oh, that was yeah. good because uh, we normally lost by like 33. So yeah, that was that's like usually where that's usually where Dems end up in Wyoming. It's about they're lucky if if they, if they lose by less than 33. Yeah. Um, when you were growing up, did you did you guys like you mentioned as kind of a, a more conservative town? Did you guys talk about? politics and, and current events at home was that like a thing that was discussed or is that just not like a, a topic on anyone's mind i mean it wasn't really like i think people talk about it more now but when i was growing up it just was never really talked about politics wasn't for the dinner table mm. um but i had a social studies teacher who was happened to be a democrat he was like one of the few democrats that i ever knew and it we talked a lot of politics in his class and it just so happened that my senior year, the first year I was able to vote, was also like sort of the height of the Iraq war. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like that was the Iraq war was very formative in my sort of early political thinking and, you know, kind of where I ended up falling on the political spectrum. But because we had talked about it so much, politics so much in class, that's kind of how I ended up kind of becoming interested in it and then studied political science um, in international studies in, in undergrad. Yeah, I, I'm always interested in uh, people who grow up in conservative uh, conservative environments, predominantly conservative or Republican environments, who then go on to become, you know, Democratic operatives and, and staffers uh, because I walked that path. And it's there's always an interesting journey there because at some point like you it it involves a a rejection of you know the values and ideas that you were brought up around um and it's i suppose the same for folks uh who go you know from who grow up in in progressive or liberal enclaves and then you know become republicans and so i think that journey is always always fascinating i think i viewed a lot of the issues growing up like for example um like my family was very involved in sort of like the community. Like my mom served on the school board. My dad was on the city council. My stepdad was eventually the mayor. Um, so there was like a lot of involvement in the community. So we approached issues sort of as like the underlying assumption is that you could do good for your community and like government sort of systems and institutions could be part of that good. And so then I ended up just thinking about issues in a very different way than I think my parents grew up with. Mm-hmm. And even like there's there's zero unions. Like a union was not even something I realized existed until college. Mm. And but like the a lot of times people were businesses put their employees in bad positions because there was no one there to advocate for them. Mm-hmm. And so like a lot of times, like a lot of people worked at the coal mines. And while the coal mines were pretty good to their employees, at least the the coal mines in Wyoming, there were still things like safety just general work hours where it was really hard on, on families or like safety wasn't as good as it could be. And so like, but there was no sort of system to advocate for kind of workers' rights. 
Um, not that that like really became inform or formative to, to like who I was as kind of like my political ideology, but it's just interesting to look back because like none of that none of that existed, and so I think yeah. that's how I kind of came to be more liberal than most of my peers from from high school is that I kind of looked at these issues a little bit differently and saw that government institutions could be a vehicle for for good. Right, right. So you mentioned, you know, you have that social studies teacher in high school uh, who kind of introduces you to a lot of political thought and political debate. You mentioned going to the University of Wyoming and Laramie, studying, um, studying this stuff as an undergrad. But how, does, how do you make the pivot from this is a thing I think is interesting to, oh, this is a thing that I can make money doing and I can like support myself doing and that I want to do with my life professionally? Like, how do you make that pivot? Yeah, it's, I mean, early career did not make much money to really. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, nobody makes money early in their career Uh, politics. My first job as an organizer, wow. Um, So I had a fraternity brother who had been involved in politics and he encouraged me to sort of to take to take an internship with the congressional race in 2008 and um so i just started started doing an internship just because i had nothing else to do that summer and eventually like learned i really liked it and just started doing it um full time and took my first first semester of senior year off and just kind of got hooked on it and it wasn't even like i eventually learned that i you know, field organizing wasn't the thing I wanted to do or field wasn't the thing I wanted to do, but it was um, a great way to like talk about politics, talk about things that matter to the, to the community and then recruit other people to do it with you. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just sort of like fed off that and it was, it was a lot of fun. I wouldn't want to go back and do it again because it's incredibly (laughs) hard work and it's grueling. Um, but it really is sort of foundational to, um, you know, at least the Democratic Party, what we do and and how we bring people into the fold. Come on, Brian, you're not you're saying that you do not want to go around and spend your days knocking on the doors of strangers <laughs> yeah. and asking to talk to them about things they don't want to talk about for a I, living. That I seems still, that seems unique. This it was over ten years ago that as if I was a field organizer and I still have PTSD talking to people <laughs> on the phone. Like the idea of having to cold call someone still just sort of makes my heart palpitate, knowing that I was dialing hundreds of people a day um, to yeah. to talk to them about wolves or whatever sort of <laughs> kind of crazy issue was happening at the time. Wild. Yeah, I uh, whenever I go back and I, I you know as a you never fully get the campaign stuff out of your bloodstream. And so I've gone back, you know, several times and done short stints on different campaigns, you know, near the end of the race. And even now, you know, at the end of the, at the end of a race, what does everybody do? Oh, well, it's time for everybody to, you know, we've got a couple of days left. There's not a lot, of, not a ton of work you can obviously honestly do elsewhere. Like let's get everyone out on the doors. Everyone should go knock a packet. And I just get this chill down my spine and I'm just, I, I just say no. <laughs> I'm not gonna, I got, this is why I'm in communications. I'm not. In, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't go into field for a reason, guys. It's um, also, like th- we're doing it in November. Yeah. Like, why are we knocking on a door in November? In yeah. like, in you know, not all of our Democratic Party colleagues will realize that, but like, it's. I mean, it's cold in Wyoming and Utah and Montana 
in November. There's, mm. you know, several inches of snow on the ground. It's definitely not enjoyable. It's not my idea of a good time, but uh, <laughs> no. I know I know people who who it is. So God bless those people because they do important yeah. work. Um, so For how sure. do you eventually find your way to to DC? Like, what does that path look like? So I ended up like when I so I graduated, I finished college, and then um, I tried to do more field organizing and realized then that I hated it and um, moved. That was in Virginia. And I moved back to Wyoming and had worked some uh, at some nonprofits. So I had actually worked at a domestic violence nonprofit for a year doing um, advocacy with survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault. And so still doing, it was, you know, it's not community organizing, but it's definitely like ground level grassroots community support work right. and still sort of had kind of that itch that like you can do more through sort of fixing government institutions and fixing um, societal issues from, from a government perspective. And so I ended up taking an, in, moving to DC and taking an internship. And hmm. um, at that point I had, is actually when I applied to go to GSPM um, I had my first internship in DC. Like I just wanted to move to DC. I was ready to like move to a big city. And so I took in my first internship was actually with US Fish and Wildlife Division of International Conservation, which I have zero interest in. But it was a paid <laughs> but it was a paid internship in DC and it sort of related to what a little bit of what I did in undergrad with international relations. And so I just took it and I moved to DC not knowing a single soul. Um in the city and just sort of started there. Um, eventually got the internship with Senator Bacchus and just kind of kept at it. Moving to DC, not knowing a single soul is, is kind of a rite of passage. Uh, I, I think most okay. people have, have done it. Uh, it's, uh, it, it, it teaches you things. You, you, you figure it out. You either sink or you swim, right? And you obviously you swam, you, you made it. Yeah. Um, how do you, you mention this is like around the time you, you wind up at GSPM. How do you, how does that happen? How do you find out about GSPM and how do you make the decision that, you know, this is, this is the thing I want to do and I want to spend a considerable amount of time, you know, sitting in class and, and getting a, a graduate degree in political management. Yeah. I think this, this will be good for us to hear since we do some of this work on a daily basis now, but I just got a really good targeted ad oh, online. Like I literally found it through, advertising. And I think early on, like even my senior year of college, I had like known about GSPM and was like, this is something I may want to do someday. Um, and just sort of continued to think about it. And I, at one point, um, at one point after I think high school, even when I, when I was still in college, I had was in, ended up in DC for something and did like a tour of GSPM, but never really had made a final decision to do it. Um, and then when I moved to DC, it was a really, to be super honest, it was a way for me to live in DC and have an unpaid internship because I could get student loans. Mm. <laughs> to be super honest. I mean, it, it was a great program, but like from a very, just like a survival perspective, it was mm -hmm. a way for me to survive in DC because it gave me both um, a reason to be there and sort of the the resources to pay rent in DC, which is astronomical, as you know. Yes. Um, so yeah, that was that was really the ultimate like sort of factor. But I, I mean, 
obviously a consideration in there was like, this would give me a leg up and it definitely did. So, yeah, I it, look this, the, the survival aspect is, <laughs> is not overrated, right? Like no, I, uh, I remember when I moved here, I moved my, I was married at the time. I moved my wife out here. We didn't know a single soul similar to you had no jobs and no idea how to get a job in DC. Cause it's a different town than anywhere else in the world in that, in that respect. Um, and, but I did know when I moved here, I knew I was going to, in the fall, I was going to start at GSPM. And at the very least, it was less a like financial survival thing for me than it was, at least I, this is the reason why I'm here, right? Like, yeah. even if I cannot get a job and I totally bomb out on the job front, like the excuse for me being here that I can tell people is that I'm going to graduate school. And obviously there's all sorts of good skills and stuff to learn as part of that. But there is like an emotional component to that too. And, and a financial component, it sounds like on your side of things. And I and I feel like too, um, I think we were actually at GSPM around the same time. And that was the, the case for many of our classmates. Right. That there was also like an underlying emotional reason why people were there. Not just like, you know, oh, hey, I want to, learn academically about political management. Right. So you you mentioned you're, you start with the internship on the Hill. You're going to GSPM at night. How were you able to kind of take what you were learning in the evenings and, and kind of how was that relevant to your job and how are you to take, able to take those lessons and kind of apply them immediately when you went to work in the Senate for Senator Bacchus the next day? It's interesting. A lot of the lessons I learned... I didn't apply until probably later on. Oh. Um, if because I was like I was a press assistant, and so like I was doing, I was putting together like media lists, and maybe if I got lucky, doing the first draft of a press release or something like that. But it did help me, um, sort of like in, in, in the classes probably that I had at least expected to apply, helped me like sort of distill information into like what matters mm. and sort of how other people think about some of these issues, not just like me. And so creating like communications that, that resonates um, and drives people to take some kind of action versus just putting out paper, which anyone can do that. It's, it's getting someone to do something with it is the hard part. Yeah. What was your GSPM experience like from the perspective of look like you were a, person who was brand new to this city like you said you didn't know a single soul um but like when you go to these classes right like there's you suddenly have like a peer group um and that doesn't necessarily mean you always become best friends with those people some people do become best friends with those people and they become friends for life um what was your experience like especially being a new person to dc who was kind of figuring this all out and you had this gspm community that was there for you yeah, like the the people I met in grad school, some of whom, you know, became good friends to this day that I still talk to on a regular basis. Um, it showed sort of that I wasn't alone in my experience, that there were a lot of other people struggling to break through in their career or like finding their way into where it was they wanted to go, whether that was a campaign or the hill or or whatever. Um, I also lucked out in that working for and you might, may experience this being from Utah, is that like once I started working for Senator Bacchus, there is a very strong contingent of people from Montana who all sort of have their have a community within themselves. And so like that too, um, 
also became really important. Like the community you're able to build in DC, I think becomes foundational to even like the rest of your career. So whether that's through GSPM or, you know, your home state or whatever it is, it's, it, it becomes more and more important, um, you know, as you move through your career, because everyone ends up somewhere else. And so um, those are all connections and pieces of information you can use to, to your advantage, so to speak. Yeah. You've obviously now graduated from GSPM. You've gone on to a lot of success uh, in your career. Looking back at kind of, you know, from then to now, what do you think is, what do you think is the most valuable thing students can take away from their time at GSPM that will help them succeed in their career? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, a couple of things I think is, is one is like, especially if you're like working at the same time, it can be like how to juggle um, because it's hard to go to grad school. Even if it's two, you know, two nights a week, three hours a night, like doing all the coursework and the reading and the writing, it's, it's a lot when you're juggling it with, you know, work and family obligations and trying to like figure out how to make a life in DC. Um, so that just from like a, a baseline skill set was like really important for me, especially then working in politics where you're juggling 200 things usually. Um, but like the connections are, are super important, but also like, and I'll go back to this again, it's just like distilling information and figuring out what actually matters and what doesn't. And I did the political management program, but I felt that most of my course were graduated towards communications. Mm. Um, and so that to me was like the big takeaway, whether it was like, you know, I took a fundraising class that sort of the crux of it was distilling information and sort of how to connect with people like digital advertising where you're writing, you know, an ad with very limited copy and how to get people to, to click through or to, to take some kind of action or even like speech writing where it's like longer form storytelling, but how to like distill information down that still resonates with people and is delivered in a way that, you know, gives them at least some kind of emotional reaction. Um, so to me, that was, that was sort of the biggest takeaway and what I think is, regardless of where you end up going after GSPM is, is crucial. Cause if you can't connect with people to get them to take action, that's, you know, it, you're, you'll never have an outcome. That's, um, that sort of meets your goal. Yeah. You mentioned, you know, you're working on the Hill for Senator Baucus. You, you do get the foot in the door, right. Which is challenging as, as you talked about. Um, and you're doing that. And then in 2014, um, you become communications director for the Montana Democratic Party. And I think prior to that, were you a press assistant for Senator Baucus, but like immediately prior to taking that job? Immediately prior to taking that, I was a press assistant for Senator Baucus. And it's... It seems like a big step up, it, to be honest. It, is a, it was a huge step up, but something happened in there when I was with Senator Baucus that, that actually, so that makes this make sense a little bit more. Is So when I was with... Um, when I was with the senator, he was chairman of the finance committee. So I kind of bounced back and forth between his personal office and the committee office. Mm. And he had, um, every couple of years, he threw a big economic development summit in the state mm. of Montana that was like very well regarded in the state. It was known for like having good outcomes and connecting the right business people to sort of have an economic development impact in the state. And he held one in 2013 and they always chose sort of like a junior staffer or like a 
an, in, an intern who does well to kind of help organize it. And that year I took it on and it just so happened to coincide it was with his, re- with his planned retirement. So they really went all in and we ended up having like 10 or 12 fortune hundred CEOs speak at it. We had senators and governors like Elon Musk, Sheryl Sandberg, Fred Smith, who is the CEO of FedEx, like some really big players in global business were there and it was a huge success. And I, me and another person were sort of the, who was, he was much older. He was kind of the, the mastermind behind it. But the, between the two of us, we planned and executed this whole thing with the help of a lot of really smart people. Um, and so I think that really ingratiated me with kind of the Bacchus world. And so when the up, when this position came up for the Montana Democratic Party, I think they, um, Senator Bacchus still had a lot of influence there. And so I think they were willing to give me a chance um, because they'd already seen me prove myself in this other aspect. So it is a big jump from a press assistant to be then be the comms director at a state party. But um, I think they were willing to, to give me a shot just because I had proved myself on this other project. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's, I've often said that, and I might've said on this podcast that campaigns are the last great meritocracy. And basically if you're good um, and you succeed and you get more opportunities and you move up quickly because there's just so much need and so much opportunity, right? There's like always need smart people, right? Um, And so that seems like a very, uh, a very good example of that. Um, You eventually, you spend your time in Montana about a year and a half. You eventually do come back to DC and back to the Hill as deputy comms director and, and press secretary for Senator Maria Cantwell. Why did that feel like the right next stop after your time in Montana? Were you always planning to get back to D.C. and you wanted to get back to Congress? And, and kind of how did that opportunity with Senator Cantwell present itself to you? Yeah, so it was um, I had always when I moved to Montana, I'd always planned on going back to D.C. And um, after so the 2014 election happened, you know, Republicans or Democrats took a beating. Um, I stayed in Montana to work the legislative session, which I thought would be a good experience. It was um, something I hadn't done before. And then that was over, you know, in I think April of 2015. And then I just started looking in DC and uh, the position with Senator Cantwell was sort of one of the first ones to come up. And it, it happens that I, some of my Montana friends knew some of the communication staff with the Senator's office. And so it kind of gave me a good, um, in at least got my resume in front of the right people. And then I, um, at one point got far along in the interview with the Senator's office. And I drove from Helena where I was living at the time to Seattle to interview with Senator Cantwell. And we ended up talking the whole time about Senator Tester actually, and sort of his, campaign and what he needed to do and how he kind of like told stories and communicated with people. And she just like, we talked about it and she kind of got my opinion about it. And she, I think looked at it from that lens of like, Mm. how am I operating in this smaller sort of state? And how do I think about um, communicating with, with in an environment where there's not a lot of media and it's only TV and you may have a local paper. Um, 
And I think that's what sort of connected me with her because like in, it, it's, I think she knew that she could probably, you know, she'll always be able to do well in like a big media market like Seattle, but it's the smaller places that's harder where there's only one reporter that you can connect with and tell a story to. Um, and they're, you know, folks who are generally harder to connect with um, from like a constituent perspective. And so I think that's what she appreciated is some of like the more rural bona fides that I had. Um, and it worked out. You spent four years in Cantwell's office, which is a fairly long time by Hill standards, it feels like. There's a lot of jumping around on the Hill that happened. Some people stay in offices forever, but a lot of people jump really quickly. Yeah. Um, what motivated you to stay there for, for so long? And, and what did you do to ensure that, you know, even though the scenery around you might not be changing, you were still able to continue growing and keep progressing, even if you were just kind of staying in the same office for those four years? Yeah. So, I mean, a lot. So I started with her in sort of right at the, the fall, let's say fall of 2015. Um, and obviously a lot happened over the first couple of years. So like Trump became president in, you know, January of 2017. And so like that was two years in at that point. And that was really sort of the motivating factor for me mm-hmm. um, to at least stick around in politics. But uh, And then just so happened with her, but she also had a re-election in 2018 that I was sort of wanted to be a part of. I mean, she's a Democrat in Washington State, so it was it was by no means going to be a hotly contested race, but it was still um, a, still a chance to do some work on the campaign side, mm-hmm. which I just thought would you know would be helpful for me long term career wise, and and a, and a bit to do something a little different. Um, you know, got to help with with TV ads and think about email fundraising and right. and some other aspects that I didn't have a, a ton of experience with. Um, you know, some of the, one of the things I really liked about working on Capitol Hill, and I feel like you and I get this a little bit now working at an agency, is that you just work on a ton of different issues. Right. Like, I know more about like salmon and salmon policy than I ever <laughs> cared to. Or like, Especially in, for the Washington member, you definitely yeah, know totally. about salmon policy. Totally. Or like why, um, you know, why icebreakers as a ship really matter to sort of the national security and economic security of the United States. Like really random things like that um, I thought was just really fun. And so that's kind of what kept me around. And um, well, not everything she did was like marquee or deserved, you know, TV time on MSNBC. It's like really good policy and like really fun to work on. Um, because that's some of the harder stuff to get through, you know, it's, it's can sometimes be, it's, you know, some of the stuff that's in the news every day, it's while it's hard to get done, um, everyone's talking about it and everyone wants to do something on it, but she oftentimes focused on the things that not everyone else was talking about, but had huge economic impact, particular, and not just economic impact, but societal impact, um, particularly for her constituents, Mm -hmm. um, which is really fun to see. In 2019, you make a big jump and you leave the Hill and you head to Boeing, uh, which is obviously a Washington company, um, where you serve as a senior communications specialist and then as an enterprise spokesperson uh, for the company. That's a significant shift. What motivated you to, to make that change? And, and what was the biggest thing that surprised you about jumping from government and politics, which you spent your entire career on at that point, into the kind of the more corporate side of things? 
Yeah. Um, I mean, like the first, like everything that comes to everyone's mind when you're working on the Hillary in a campaign is money. And that was, it, it was definitely a shift <laughs> in what I was paid, but like that definitely wasn't the motivating factor. Um, I wanted to do something different mm-hmm. and, and it absolutely was. I also just like life-wise wanted a change of pace. Right. Um, working on the Hills, like in, and in politics can be grueling. Um, so I just really, really was looking for that change of pace. Boeing was going through some really hard times and I just thought it was an interesting place to be in that moment and t- turned out to be right. Like there was a lot of, um, you know, with the, with the accidents that Boeing had, there was like a lot of work to be done. It was a lot of public affairs work to be done. And so it was a really interesting place to be. And I got to work on some a lot of really cool things, not just, you know, transportation policy or what the FAA was doing because of the accidents. But Boeing was, at that time, was involved in the largest trade dispute in the history of the WTO. And so I got to help, um, from a communications perspective, got to help Boeing navigate that and worked with some really smart people who have worked on trade policy at Boeing for decades, um, navigate that to its successful conclusion. And it ended up being, um, you know, worked out in a way that was beneficial for both the United States and Boeing. But, um, you know, not a lot of people get to do that. And so that was really cool um, to be a part of and probably one, at least to this point, like a a career highlight, because it's just, it's so unusual that there, there are books written about it. Um, It's, you know, insanely studied from sort of a commerce international trade perspective Mm. and to help them sort of communicate about it with reporters and how to sort of position Boeing as, and the United States as sort of in the right economic light to, to get the outcome that they wanted was, was fun. Yeah. You spend a couple years at Boeing doing that. And then last year you, you make the switch to consulting going to Bully Pulpit Interactive where you're unfortunate enough to have to work with yours truly. (laughs) Um, why did you want to give agency life a spin and, and why did BPI feel like the right place to do that? Yeah, it was, um, I was at Boeing for two years and felt like I had done a lot of like really meaningful work. And so, you know, I could have, and people do, they spend an entire career at Boeing. It is an incredible company. Um, like making large chunks of metal fly through the sky is not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. And it's, it's a really cool place to be. But I was just kind of ready to, again, try something a little different. Um, like I, when I moved to Boeing, I kind of wanted a change of pace. And then after being at Boeing for two years, I was ready for, I was ready for a different change of pace and to kind of, part of my thinking was I wanted to get back into some more purpose-driven work that like what I was doing at Boeing is de- was definitely purpose-driven, but it wasn't quite the, the way I was viewing purpose. Mm. Um, so I kind of wanted to get back into the political space and work on, you know, work on some issues that like really matter to me. Mm-hmm. And Bully Pulpit was a really great place to do that. And some of my clients are, you know, policy or politics driven and have a really great purpose and some are corporate, but they still have kind of an underlying purpose. We're working, mm-hmm. you know, I work with an education company. I work with um, a technology company that are all trying to do things that matter. And so, um, yeah, I made the jump because it was a way to get back, back to doing that. 
I will never truly understand how the large hunks of metal fly through the sky. I think it's maybe the thing that we as a people have <laughs> underrated, like how insane that is. Like these are thousands and thousands of pounds and it flies in the air. Like that is an insane thing. And we've just come to accept it as like, yeah, that's a thing that happens without really processing how crazy that is. Yeah, it's wild. And it's becoming more and more wild, you know, with the the aviation industry is not not immune to sort of tech advances with AI or with anything else. Those are all, um, or like, you know, they now have aircraft that take off vertically and then fly through the air. And it's just all, it's, it's insane. Um, trust in institutions is at an all-time low, and that's particularly true amongst young people. Um, and that's all institutions. That's government, that's corporations, that's higher education, that's everything. Like every institution is kind of, there's a lot of skepticism. What advice would you give to a young person on, A, why they should even bother to get involved in something like government or politics? And, and, and B, if they were going to do that, if they were going to get involved, how can, what's the best way for them to find their own path or their own way through which they can contribute to and participate in our democracy? Yeah, I think like just even like at a foundational level, like there will never cease to be a need for just good people, mm-hmm. whether that's, you know, in church or on the city council or, you know, at the FDA or wherever it is, there's always a need for just good people to do good things. And so, um, if you want to make a difference, government's a great place to do it. And politics is a great place to do it. Um, And so I would encourage anyone to just, even at a local level, like attend a city council meeting, like volunteer for a a political candidate, volunteer at a nonprofit, um, whatever it is that sort of piques your interest on an issue that, that, that matters to you and just start there. Um, you know, not everyone needs to come to Washington DC and intern on the Hill to make a difference or to get involved in politics. There's a lot of, a lot of ways to do it. Um, you know, I'd encourage everyone, that's the path I took. And so I'd encourage everyone to do that, but there's a lot of ways to do it. Last question. There are a lot of opinions about what makes for a successful career. In your experience, what have you found to be most important? Is it what you know, or is it who you know, or is it some combination of both? Yeah, I, um, I definitely think it's a combination of both. So like my sort of general philosophy is that like a career is not, is a means to an end and not the end itself. So you have to decide, you know, what kind of career you want or what kind of life you want and then build a career that helps you get there. And so I think it's a, it's a combination of, of both of those things. You know, there's, <laughs> You can probably attest to this. There's a lot of people in DC who know a lot of people, but they just don't know a lot about how to work. Mm-hmm. And so like, and that person might have a successful career, they might not. But um, but then there's a lot of people who know a lot of things and they don't make it very far. So you have to, it's kind of a balance. You really have to do both. And it just sort of depends on what kind of life and career you want. And so once you figure that out, I think then then you can answer those questions and and meet a bunch of people or, you know, really learn a a craft, but um, to at least start out, you have to do both. Wise words from a wise person, Brian Watt. Thank you so much for taking the time to 
share a little bit of your journey. Talk a little bit about uh, how incredible it is that hunks of metal fly through the sky. Uh, <laughs> one of my favorite topics. Um, and thank you. We really appreciate you taking the time. I know you have a lot to do and, and we appreciate you talking with our audience. I'm sure they'll find it valuable as I have. Uh, always good to connect with you, my friend. Thank you. Anytime. Glad to be here. <laughs>